Zoom Room. I'm Caitlin and joined as always by my lovely co-host, Andy. Uh, we have some guests this week. We are joined by the Going in Circles podcast hosts, Barry and Chuck. It's good to have you guys on. There is no shortage of topics this week. The Belmont Stakes is this weekend to close out the Triple Crown and kind of had some big events happen this today, um, this week, especially like, I mean, today for sure, we have the split sample coming back positive once again for Medina Spirit and the Kentucky Derby and Churchill Downs has laid down the gauntlet. They have banned Bob Baffert until 2023. What do we think about that? Where are we? How do, where do we go from here? Go ahead, Chuck. You can answer first. <laughs> well, there's a lot there. Um, it was ironic because on our show Monday night, Barry and I got to talking about, uh, you know, we, we were talking about the whip rule in New Jersey. That was the, you know, the topic of, of it's all of a sudden, you know, got put on the back burner. Um, and we were halfway through the show and it was like, Oh yeah, the Belmonts this week, right? You know, like it wasn't even the, um, you know, one of the more pressing topics that we had considered. But uh, uh, like Preakness week, this is going to be um, Bob Baffert week, and mm-hmm. the split sample coming back positive is not a surprise. I mean, the the one the the amount of the percentage of split samples that don't come back positive is very very low. Um, and this is not a, I mean, this is a, a readily used, readily tested for drug. So you wouldn't think that they would have made a mistake with that. Uh, Churchill Downs, though, the, the quickness in which they issued this, uh, this you know, kind of short, like three paragraph statement that they were banning Bob Baffert or suspending for two years. Uh, obviously, they had that ready. Um so this has been something that they had uh, been talking about clearly and had considered, um, you know, when this split sample came back and it was going to be verified that he's going to be uh, disqualified from the Derby and, and Baffert will face some sort of penalty. Um, you know, Churchill Downs preempted it and being a, a publicly traded company and having your prized property be kind of um, dragged through the mud all over all over the media. I mean, this is not just a, a, a sports story. This is a mainstream story. It just is a, you know, they needed to act swiftly and, and to make a, a bold statement because they are a publicly traded company and um, they, they needed to, you know, look strong. At least that's my feeling on, on why they, they reacted so quick because this is kind of uncharted territory. Absolutely. What, so here, here's my issue with this, as far as it's concerned. Bob, basically, Bob's attorney came out with a statement saying they're still running some tests, and one of them is for a DNA sample to come back so they could prove that it was automax instead of the injection in the joints or wherever they decided to actually do something like that. It's and, still illegal. I don't care what it is. Okay, but but now they're but they're their complaint is that oh this will clear everything up if they clear it up and they find out this is automax or whatever do they still hold them for two years of course they should yeah, they had- it was it was still the same thing i mean 
just because you know what it was doesn't mean it's anything less than <laughs> than the infraction that was deemed in the first place. You know, it, it, it's still an overage because it was Automax doesn't make it any less of an overage. I think what they're going to try to do is that the lawyer is going to try to, because the word mitigating circumstances is in the rule, what they're going to try to do is argue mitigating circumstances, most likely unsuccessfully, and then try to use those mitigating circumstances to lessen uh, the punishment. Um, and I, I didn't like stay in Holiday Inn Express last night, and I'm not a lawyer, but that also might be brought up because they're considering um, uh, a legal challenge and uh, doing this, uh, you know, because like you guys all said, the, the way that the drug gets in the horse's system is immaterial. The, you know, beta-methasone positive doesn't matter if it comes from an injection or it comes from Automax or it comes from, you know, the, the beta-methasone uh, cream or, or it doesn't really matter. The, the violation is, is too much beta-methasone. So, uh, you know, the lawyers are always going to angle. And the one thing that Baffert has been successful in doing in navigating the, the positive... <laughs> Uh, test waters for years is, uh, you know, he lawyers up, he gets good lawyers and um, they confuse the issue as much as possible. And, and, and he's been very successful at it. I mean, honestly, if, if I had gotten that positive, those positives in Arkansas, um, I probably would not have been able to escape the, the penalty because I wouldn't have been able to afford a lawyer that has done as much research as, as they did that found flaws in the way the samples were handled by the laboratory that Arkansas had hired to do the testing, which of course unwinds the whole case. And it's not like, are you guilty or are you innocent? It's, can it stand up to a legal challenge? And, and, and Kentucky seems like they've, they've moved very deliberately here. Um, the Kentucky Racing Commission has not really said anything so you would think that they're, they're being very, you know, very careful as, as to not, uh, you know, give them anything, the opportunity to seize upon a, an error or uh, something of that nature. So do you think, Well, go ahead. Kayla. I was going to say, I, obviously it's very obvious what happens from the when going forward, you know, there will be a disqualification, but, I definitely believe there will be some legal hurdles there going back to kind of what Chuck was saying. Um, they're going to fight this. They are, they are going to fight it, but you know, the, the fact that Churchill has, has dropped the hammer on him, he's already suspended in New York pending whatever happens in Kentucky. And it doesn't look like the Kentucky issue is going to be over anytime soon. Uh, and, and other racetracks potentially might join the fray, which kind of uh, serves to um, minimize his racing opportunities, which, of course, will make the people who employ him that, that uh, you know, like sending him horses uh, a lot more leery about having him as their trainer. And, you know, the especially at the top end, you know, you, you want to be able to to pick your spots, uh, you know, especially in the. Uh, I mean, we see on a, on a weekly basis four and five horse stake races all over the country. And if your trainer's not allowed to race in Kentucky, he's not allowed to race in New York, well, that really severely limits your options. 
And I mean, there are the there are the rumors going around about Delmar had been waiting for this. So, when do you think Belmont makes the decision shortly because their meet's coming up here shortly soon too, or not Belmont Delmar? Sorry. Honestly, I really don't know, Andy. Uh, I would I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but. Uh, I would be a lot more surprised than I was at Churchill. I mean, the Churchill thing, you knew something was going to happen. I was just surprised with the, 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 the quickness that it came. I thought maybe they would have actually let them have a hearing and, and um, you know, have the hearing and, and you know, call the disqualification. Um, because, you know, even though it's come back positive, technically they haven't had a hearing yet. So technically it's it's not a, a DQ, but, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's, it's all lined up. So. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, the, the the real question is the Stronic group is because that's where he's stabled. Um, and I don't I mean, I, I haven't really spent a whole lot of time in California, so I'm not sure where his the bulk of his horses are at Delm. I mean, I don't know if he ships to Del Mar and stables there and or, or stables at Santa Anita. I'm not really sure, but but certainly that would be a big factor if, if he were to to depend on stabling at Del Mar and then they didn't allow him to run. I mean, plus even if he's training there and, and I mean, Delmar is the only option to run in Southern California. So uh, that would be really bad for him. Yeah. I, I, I definitely think it's one of those things to where they'll have a huge problem. If it continues the way it does, especially with the Hollendorfer situation, because what's the difference between Hollendorfer and, and, uh, and Baffert when it comes to that. Uh, Barry, you yes, being sir. on the betting side of this, how frustrating is it for you to know that this goes on? It's very frustrating because it, it affects the outcomes of races, essentially. I mean, um, you know, I, I know I've said this before many, many times before that I, I factor in, you know, kind of the dubious doings with, with medications into my handicapping. And have for for several years, um, you kind of can't avoid it. I mean, you have your suspicions. Obviously, it can't prove everything, but you, you kind of have an idea of who does what um, as a better, and you see it all the time. Especially when you play, you know, if you're an everyday player, or you know, even if you pay attention to the game on a daily basis, you you can understand um, what's going on. And you know, it's, it's, it is encouraging that, that Churchill did come out and do something right away. Um, I just would like to see the rest of the major circuits kind of stick together on this and, and do the right thing and make sure that, you know, this sets a good precedent going forward that this will not be tolerated. And once you have that in place and you stick by it and, you you know, anybody that crosses that line gets, gets, uh, gets penalized. So, um, as long as that happens, it's a, it's a good direction. It's a new direction. And, and, it, and it seems to be something that, that has to be done. Caitlin. What do I definitely, this is for everybody, especially Barry with the betting side. What do we think of the class action lawsuit that is being, um, derived from a few of our Twitter comrades on behalf <laughs> of their bets for Mandaloon, um, and basically that they were robbed. It's interesting. I, I, I know I, I looked at the, the lawsuit itself. I read it, the complaint um, front to back. And, 
It's very interesting. I mean, this is kind of uncharted territory for this kind of thing. Um, on the face of it, it seems like they may not have much of a case because I think there's some disclaimers or things like that, you know, about when uh, I think it's in the programs, actually. Um, when, uh, when a result is overturned, uh, disqualifications after the fact that there's no recourse for the betters, the payouts aren't going to change. Um, but I mean, it's not like they don't have a case. <laughs> I mean, there's there's history with Bob Baffert and, and things that he's done in the past, um, disqualifications and such. Um, you know, I, I, I'm just interested to see how it plays out. I, I, mean, I mean, my gut is telling me that it's not really going to go anywhere, but there's always a chance that it might. So it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I'm with you. It's not that they don't have a case, but at the same time, um, it's kind of obvious that you wouldn't get the money back, but it doesn't make it sting any less. I know I played my bets around Mandaloon in the Derby. I really liked oh, him in that race. It seemed like so did everybody else conveniently, but I, I think that's why people are so upset is because that was the buzz force for the week. He was 26 to one all of that stuff. And then like, you knew the history and like, I've told many people before the Derby, obviously include Medina spirit, but like, it's going to be kind of fishy if the horse wins. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, it kind of took me by surprise how it all went down um, after the Derby, but you know, it kind of went all downhill from there. I mean, you gotta thank goodness for, for Rombauer. Um, because it kind of turned things another direction, at least temporarily, or for, you know, a week or so before all this other stuff is coming down now. So, you know, it's been a very interesting, you know, month and a half. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it, it, this is this is new. Um, but I, I, I really hope that this this is the turning point um, for some things to get cleaned up. Now. You've always you've always run a clean program when you were training, Chuck, right? And you know you get people like Graham uh, Motion and Ron McNally, Richard Mandela, that can go years and years without positive tests. With with, I mean, and those of us that are those that aren't familiar with the backside, you can have brand new employees every single day, basically, and they never have any situations like Baffert does. What is he supposed to do to change that, that optic? Well, you know, to your point that a lot of trainers ha don't have the issues that he has. And it's not just he's had issues. It's that almost all of these issues happened since like the pandemic started, right? So I'm not blaming the pandemic, but I mean, we're talking since like March or April of last year. It's just June 2nd or 3rd. What's the next second? So, so we're like, this isn't like five positive tests over nine years. It's five in a year and they're all in high profile races, except for the one in California, um, which was actually a class two positive instead of a class three positive or B or C or however they're, they're, they're ranking them now. So, you know, to me, it's just, you have to be more careful. And, and we were always, um, cognizant of the the timing when we would give uh our pre-race medication and we never pushed up against the the limits because my feeling was that 
most of these medications are, are, are helping the horse in training. They're keeping them more comfortable for the training. They're not actually going to have a whole lot of benefit for the race itself. It's the days leading up to it. Um, and, and, and we didn't really do a whole lot either. If withdrawal was 24 hours, we didn't give it 24 hours and 30 minutes. A lot of times we give it 28 hours, 32 hours. Um, and, and I would tell the vet that I didn't want to push the envelope because I just didn't think that it was worth getting a positive test. And in my, in my view, I didn't want to get positive tests. Um, the problem is that even if you're really careful, it can still happen to you. Uh, I mean, I have two positive tests in my, in my career, right? One was for ace promazine that we did not give the horse, and it was at an extremely low level. And ace promazine is probably the most widely used horse medication in the world. Uh, it's it's a, a you know mild tranquilizer, and in every horse discipline, ace promazine is, is used a lot. And we didn't even give the horse. We have no record of giving this horse ace promazine, uh, and that was I think two thousand two or two thousand one. And then we I had another positive uh, turfway park. And we had stopped, uh, we had withdrawn the drug, which was uh, the, the horse version of a leave because the horse didn't handle bute or banamine well. Um, so we, we were using the proxen and we stopped like three days prior to the, the cutoff. So it wasn't like we were pushing the envelope and uh, not to get too far into that story, but as it turns out, the lab was having some issues with the testing and like literally everybody's horses were coming back te testing positive for this. And as it turned out, they, they just gave us a fine, but um, you know, there's a reason why we didn't get a lot of, of, of issues like that because we didn't, you know, we did, we were careful and I just find it hard to believe in a barn of, of that magnitude with the horses uh, of that value running in these big giant grade one races that they just weren't more careful about things. Um, and and that, that's the thing that really like kind of blows my mind. I think, I think the thing that really kind of like really takes me back, takes me aback is the fact that, you know, Jimmy Barnes, Jimmy Barnes comes from, he, he, he used to be with Charlie Whittingham. Right. So you would think that you would think that he would run, he would be more, by the book when it comes to the way he runs the barns, I guess. I mean, well, that I'm not depends, you know, I, at least the way I see it, it depends. I mean, he's been getting away with it. So it, there's no incentive for him to stop. So whatever it is they were doing, you know, miscues, what have you, there, there's no real deterrent for him to stop doing whatever it is he was doing. Um, he never, he, I mean, the worst he had to do was show up in front of the stewards one day. You know, um, and, and to Chuck's point about, you know, uh, all this stuff happening, uh, you know, since about March last year, I, I kind of differ a little bit on that because, you know, this kind of nonsense goes back to the justify thing that was going on out in California. Um, so, you know, it's kind of been steady. I, I, and I think Gaming got one um, in the Oaks and got disqualified, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong. But I mean, he's had these kind of things happen over and over again, and nothing's ever happened to him. Now I'm sure it's it's a shock to him and shock to the system that um, he got his hand caught in the cookie jar, and 
now he's going to, you know, get penalized pretty stiffly for it. Um, you're right. Sorry. I didn't mean no. to cut you off. Nope. You are, you're absolutely right about Gamine. She actually was disqualified for the, from the Kentucky Oaks for the same drug in the same amount, but apparently it's never been used in the barn. Interesting. <laughs> you know, uh, on top of that, when the stewards gave him a very light penalty, for that um they at the time said that because the arkansas the two positives in arkansas hadn't been adjudicated yet that they weren't able to use those as um priors uh and they chose to kind of ignore the the issue that he had in california and they only gave him a fifteen hundred dollar fine and they didn't give him any days at the time but one of the things that they they've done now is that when they don't give you days, when they waive the days, usually you get this probationary period of 365 days where if you don't get any more positive tests in that 365 days, then the days that, you know, you would have had to serve just go away. But because he's gotten another positive test and, and like Caitlin said, for the same drug, but almost the same amount, um, Within 365 days, I believe that he's going to have to, to, to serve those days as well. But they could run concurrent, right? I, I They could. I mean, like when Steve Asmussen got two six-month suspensions, they let them they let him run those uh, concurrently at the same time. So instead of getting a year, he got six months. But I, I have a feeling, and this is not based on any information other than um, – I have a feeling that they're going to try to give him the strongest penalty that they're able to, to give because they don't want to come across as looking weak. And uh, especially with Churchill coming down as quickly as they, that they have it is for all the bad publicity that's, that's been out there. Uh, I don't think they want to, to be seen as um, giving him another pass. And, uh, and that's just conjecture on my part, but um I think whatever the maximum amount of days, and it's not going to be 10 years or two years. It's going to be like 30 and 30. You know, they might, I think they're going to give them 45 to 60 days. So do you think, so, you know. And I don't know that they're allowed to give more than that for a class three violation. I I don't think they're, I mean, that's the other thing people kind of have a hard time understanding. um, And it's one of the weaknesses of the system in that sometimes the steward's hands are tied. And they would, they'd like to give out harsher penalties, but they can't, um, you know, what Churchill Downs or, or uh, any other racetrack that owns the land that they can use private property laws. And even then different laws from different states, uh, uh, Bennett Lieben, um, who's like one of the best uh, legal racing legal analysts out there, um, had, I saw he had written a little something today about that and, um, you know, so, so people sometimes think, well, all racing is so easy on these people, but a lot of times it's the state regulatory system that's been set up that the guidelines have to be followed. And, and unfortunately, sometimes they're, they're not as stringent as penalties as, as people would uh, prefer to see. Where do you think this leaves everybody as far as racing is concerned? Like all the trainers, all, you know, we talked about the big change when the FBI came around and and basically raided Navarro and 
and service, do you think something's going to change or nothing? Or are we going to still be in the same I spot? Think it's hard to say because I think the general feeling when Navarro and service got busted was that, um, you know, you started reading some of the stuff that they released and the transcripts and then the dead horses and all this other stuff. And I think most trainers are like, well, shit, that, you know, I don't do that. You know, like, you know, maybe we push the envelope a little here or there, but like, we're not bad like those guys. And I, and I think that that is one of the reasons why you didn't, or people didn't feel like, uh, everything changed. And, and I've said this, Barry and I have had this discussion many times on our podcast that the drug problem in this business is really more of a perception problem with horses um, running races that don't seem um, possible <laughs> or the improvement of horses when they go to certain trainers or, or when they leave certain trainers. Uh, and, and this runs the gamut from cheap claiming races at Charlestown all the way to the top. Uh, you know, there, there's certain trainers that are just able to get these, um, what seems like unimaginable performances and people question that and, and that is the biggest problem that that, that that is out there and and that's one of the things that I've kind of preached about is that you have to change people's perceptions you can't just change the drug rules and say okay we got a federal law and 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 you know we're, we're smarter than everybody now and we're stronger and we got everything cool everything's good now and then guys are claiming horses and they're running 62 buyers and they're they're coming back and they're running 92 buyers no one's going to believe it. So that, that's the part of the problem is that, uh, you know, the perception of that, that there is some mysterious drug out there um, that's, that's doing all these things. And, and, that, and that's, that's a difficult, that's a difficult thing to, to tackle. Well, just to piggyback on that. Um, I think, you know, the perception amongst the customers or the betters is very key here too, because I can't tell you how many times, I go on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, uh, what have you. And I see, you know, people that, that play, they, they play the races, just doubting what they see and doubting everything that goes on. It's like, Oh, it's all, everything is cheating. Everything is cheating. And I know, you know, social media tends to gravitate towards a lot of negativity just by nature, but it stands the reason that, you know, you're probably going to get a, a more of a, clear picture of what's in the betters minds collectively by looking at that information so if if your betters are, are saying well this looks fixed or something's not right that could have big time ramifications to things like handle and and people will just stop playing and that's the that's a huge fear you know i, th I think we could go back to to like the whole uh, Navarro Monmouth deal to where anytime Mon anytime Navarro had a race, he basically you basically knew he was going to win, right? So, I mean, yeah, if it was at Monmouth, he definitely was going to win. I mean, I, I, mean, basically... I, I, I moved my business because of that. I mean, I had yeah. got to the point at Monmouth where my owners. If we drew in a race and he was in the race and he was the favorite in the race, they wanted me to scratch. And uh, that, that's a hard way to, to run a racing business when um, you have to, you know, the owners are forcing you to scratch because then you're not going to run. And, and that, you know, you might scratch out of this race and you come back a couple of weeks later and he's, he's back in the next race. And 
uh, I mean, that was one of one of the reasons why we decided to to leave and, and to go to Florida full time and you know only have to deal with that at you know in the winter time. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's so frustrating because even now in Florida, it's the same way, right? You see on Twitter, and I mean, I know Barry can vouch for this. Where uh, what is it? The other day, somebody who hadn't trained in what six years ended up winning a race. <laughs> Two races. Right. Two races. Two races. And, yeah. and they both and they were both bet down like he knew they were gonna win. And it's uh, like he, Andy, he was four for his last hundred before those those last his, his three starts at Gulfstream where he had two oh. wins in a second. He he basically so, he, he he studied he training in his, in the nine years, I guess. He did something. <laughs> I just I you know the whole deal is is that I'm just like look I try to bring as many people to the track as possible but when but when I get like this weekend I, I wanted nothing to do with racing I wanted to take the weekend off I wanted to just relax and what happens the first thing out of out of my my brother-in-law's mouth is Hey, what's this whole Baffert thing going on? He doesn't follow racing, but he knows about the Baffert thing, right? And it goes back to also like the Santa Anita issue where they should have they should have tried to fix the track a lot sooner than they did. And, you know, you got to answer questions like that. Like for once, I'd like to answer a question like, you know, how do you handicap this race? Because I really want to get involved instead of, oh, Baffert's cheating again. You know what I mean? I had uh, CJ Johnson and, and uh, Pete Denk on my show yesterday. And, and those two guys I asked to be on because they're both, you know, positive guys. And we didn't have to talk about anything controversial. And, you know, we had said the same thing you had said, you know, to start the show, like, uh, you know, Barry and I had said this the last few weeks, like, man, it's a great time to have a racing podcast or two because there's never a lack of, of topic, but, uh, the negativity does get to, I mean, it bothers me. It bothers me. I, I get where, um, you know, I'm just sick of talking about it. And, and like you said, I, I want to try to be positive. I mean, one of the reasons we started the, the podcast was that we wanted to bring, you know, positive stories. And, and like one of the goals I really had was to have people on that, that aren't Chad Brown or Todd Pletcher or Bob Baffert or, or those people who always are getting exposure. And, and I really, I, I've kind of slacked on it lately, but uh, you know, we were having once or twice a month, young trainers, new trainers, and, you know, to give people a little bit of exposure. And, uh, and it's always that, that new person enthusiasm, you know, and it, it's kind of catching. And um, unfortunately there's been like so many negative topics that, that we need to kind of feel like we need to kind of talk about it just gets a little bit overwhelming. And I mean, like, you know, like, like just like the stuff that Caitlin does with the, the with the breeding, you know, I mean, um, she sent me an email with this, you know, this unbelievable email that she had compiled of, of the mares, um, you know, going to all these, you know, top mares going to all these different stallions. And I mean, that's interesting stuff that that's like, gives you a little bit of, uh, of hope, you know, like, I mean, who can't be hopeful about, uh, uh, you know, horse babies, but um but I feel you, man. It's it's been so negative, and 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 like just from like the racing Twitter, like Barry said, it it's constantly kind of a negative place. But I mean, lately it's just been overwhelmingly negative. So Barry, an... <laughs> no, but we don't ever get to, to to share a lot of our racing stories. I mean, I don't have the extensive uh, 
collection of stories that that Chuck might, but I, I got I got a few of my own. You know what I mean? I've I've been you got this. some good ones. <laughs> Look, I, I I I've got I'm I'm I think I was sharing a story where um back in '93 or '94 I was working for a barn, and this is when uh, Bruno DiGiulio first started doing his workout analysis and selling it to people and all that. And I knew what he was doing. So I told the trainer I was working for, I'm like, you know, we got this horse coming in from Europe and he's a monster. We have to do something. So he doesn't know that we have him in the barn and the horse looked exact. We had two horses looking exactly the same. And we used shoe polish to hide the blaze because we knew that's what Bruno was going to look for. And the other horse, we got shoe polish that looked like white, and we put it on the horse to make it look like the other horse. And, you know, one horse worked slow, one horse worked fast. Well, of course, the horse that worked fast ended up getting bet down, and the other one didn't, and the other one won. But, I mean, those are things that people used to do that they can't do anymore, right? And there are also things that people can't do, and I've said this to Barry, you follow the chemist. At the track, when I was on the racetrack, you followed the chemist. If you could figure out who the chemist was that was going from barn A to barn B to barn C, then you knew who was cheating and who wasn't. And I don't know if it works that way in Florida because I was never, I've never been to Florida, but I'm guessing it's probably the same thing. Florida's the wild west these days. In every way possible. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it really is. It's it's like anarchy here. But I mean, I like living here, but still. But I, I get what you're saying, and it's probably still like that to an extent. Um, but like you said, if you tell people, like if you told that story, and and it had happened last month, people would freak out on you. You you're deceiving the public, and you're going nuts. And 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 they have a point, but like. There was a big debate a couple, I guess, a couple of years ago now about first timers and uh, intent, trainer intent. And should every trainer be literally, you know, forced to try to win first time out? And because a lot of times and a lot of people, you know, trainers don't have the type of horses that are really suited to win first time out. Um so there was a kind of a debate whether that was acceptable or not. And, and, you know, I said, guys, at some point it's, it's up really to the horse, you know, like I would love to win first time with all my horses because especially if I owned them, I'd sell them and I'd make a lot of money. I'd go buy, you know, go back and buy new ones. I said, but like, it's up to the horse, but you know, the thought process was that if you weren't trying or, you know, vis-a-vis like you, you weren't going to send your horse, then it was it was unacceptable and 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 I can see the point in in some ways but you know I think sometimes you just have to know the trainer and the horses as well it's it's you know how can I put this you know there I think I think Bruno said at one time and it was a really it was you know this was when I was working for Bruno he had brought up the whole Nyquist situation about how Nyquist Basically, from the time he was a year old in September to the time he retired, he barely got any rest because he went through the sales. He he went through training. He basically went right to 
the dog and ran. And so I think a lot of those horses that go through the sales, my opinion, do need a couple months off before you bring them back and you run them because then you help with the longevity of, of longevity of the horse because some of them aren't meant to run 11 and change or 10 and four or whatever they're doing nowadays. Or nine and four. Is it nine and four now? Yeah. So it's like I rem- I rem- crazy. If your horse works 10 and two now, they're like considered slow, which is kind I remember, of I remember I used to love looking for horses that work 13 and change at the sales <laughs> because uh-huh. I knew those horses were going to be sound. And you True. Could, and you could do what you needed to do with them. Whereas you got a horse that was working 11 and change back at at Barrett's, you knew you were going to get a horse that was probably likely to get a tendon. Mm-hmm. Just from Barrett's alone, because that track was bad right. to begin with. So, so with that said, obviously, uh, okay. if you haven't heard Caitlin, it's because she had somewhere to go. So that's why Caitlin is no longer on this podcast right now. But um, the if you were commissioner of, of racing, which I think you would make probably the best commissioner ever based on your logic and your thinking, what would you do differently for, for anything involving horses and horse racing in general? The first thing I would do is I'd give myself a raise because that job is going to definitely take years off the end of my life. Um, but seriously, if you could be the commissioner of racing and not have to be encumbered by a lot of the laws that we get stuck with, uh, and that's the, that's the holdup on a lot of stuff, um, the legality of it. And if I could just, you know, wash away those things, certainly having a, a standardized, um, standardizing a lot of, a lot of our things, uh, a lot of our issues would would help. I think that I would work on uh, trying to help the smaller stables compete. I would work on. I, I would probably try to keep the bigger stables from getting bigger. Um, I mean, in a perfect world, if you said, you know, all right, you have ultimate power and you can do whatever you want, you know, I, I would make a, a, a sizable stable limit. I, I mean that's hurt a lot of racing that's hurt the product at a lot of places. And, and it's nothing against the, the, the big trainers because they're just operating by the rules that exist, but in the end it's math. And if you have a thousand horses um, and you divide them up by four people, or you have a thousand horses and you divide them by 20 people, I mean, what's going to get you the best racing product? I mean, obviously having them divided, you know, have, having 20 guys trying to win a race as opposed to having four and, uh, I think we're really seeing that in the stakes, uh, the graded stakes o- across the country, that uh, there just doesn't seem to be enough good horses out there. And, um, you know, we're, we're seeing that. So, so I would try to also create an incentive um, for owners to be in, to get involved, to try to uh, give people who don't have the wherewithal to buy $500,000 horses a chance to, to race. Uh, I'm a big proponent of a handicap class system. Um, 
And I don't think we have to get rid of claiming races. I just think that we, we could use, um, we could do things better. And uh, certainly on the betting side, um, there's a lot of things and Barry would be probably better suited to talk about that, but, but just uh, at the top end, just lowering takeout on, on some of these, these bets where the takeout is 25, 26%. Cause that, that's just nuts. And yeah, that'd I be mean, number one list. <laughs> it, it, it's just, uh, you know, the list is so long. It's, it's hard to really just, you know, actually say, well, <laughs> this, that, or the other thing, but, uh, um, I definitely wouldn't ban wimps, but, uh, that's a story for another day. I Yikes. mean, I mean, the whole deal is, is this, and I've told this story before. I think it was with Jermaine Bridge Mahan. Um, my sister used to ride, she's living in Florida now, but she used to ride in Canada and at Santa Anita. And she basically one day had a whip with her. She just got the brand new whip. It came from whoever sold the attack to the jockeys and all that. And we're walking through Hollywood Park through the underground in the tunnel. And all I hear is her say, I wonder, I wonder if this thing works. And then the pain, the searing pain I got from her hitting me with it. And I'm like, you know, it works. I mean, it worked. Nowadays, those don't hurt. That's what I don't understand about this whole thing. That's why it's so frustrating being a better or anybody like that, because horses sometimes need it. It's, it's the thing that, you know, our sport failed to get out ahead of things like this and how the whips have changed and what they're like, and you can hit your hand without it hurting, or you can, you know, um, we didn't get, a, we didn't do a good job to get out ahead of that narrative that can counteract that. And that's, that's, that, that was a failure of the industry. We didn't have a leader or anyone. I, I mean, there's so many organizations and, and groups and so on that, that, are involved in horse racing and not one of them got ahead of that narrative and, and not doing that has put us in the position where um, whip rules are changing because of certain outside entities. Um, but now it's to the point we have what we have at Monmouth and it's too extreme. And, you know, I, I can understand like, you know, at first I was very, very against what was going on in Santa Anita because I, I still think that it affects the, uh, the outcomes of races. Um, but it was like mama said, you know, in the New Jersey, um, racing commission just was like, well, hold my beer. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to top you. And, you know, now this makes what's going on in Santa Anita look like, you know, normal. Um, but I'm very interested to see how this plays out. I mean, this is kind of, this is wild what's going on in, in, in Monmouth with the whip rule. Um, I doubt how, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that they're going to have to reevaluate this sooner rather than later. Oh, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, that's, well, you know, the guys, the, 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 the HISA law, the whip rules will fall under their jurisdiction under the safety jurisdiction. Uh, there's two panels, the, the medication and the safety, it, it'll fall under, under, uh, under their jurisdiction so there's going to be a national law it's going to happen um 
it, that was one of the issues when I, when I wrote a little piece the other day for our, our newsletter was that, you know, this, there was no reason for them to take this step at this time, knowing that this law was, was on its way. Um, and they had a chance to table this uh, or maybe adopt um, a less stringent uh, rule like uh, Kentucky or, 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 or California has, even though California seems like they change the rule every three months of doing this or doing that, they're doing this. And, um, and that's why I think the input from industry people is so important on, uh, and I hope that the people who are on these panels on HISO are willing to listen to not just the, the suits that they're going to trot out there, that they'll listen to the people who actually have to uh, operate under these rules and regulations, because a lot of times we have a different view and, and we can help craft better rules. And that's the thing that we've always um, seemed to have missed and that we're not getting better rules. It's always stricter or harsher or this or that. You, you just need better rules. And um, I think that it's also important for people to be able to express their opinions. Um, and I have like, I'm not a boycott person. I'm not like, oh, I'm not going to do this. or I'm not going to do that. Uh, I mean, occasionally I'll do so poorly betting a track. I boycott it because I just can't make any, I cash candidate tickets, but, um, you know, like I, if the riders who are riding at Monmouth want to ride there, then that's, that's their, their, their choice. If they want to ride under those rules, that's their choice. Um, you got to remember, there's a lot of horsemen and there's a lot of owners and trainers and horses. And, and all the people that work for them, the grooms and the hot walkers and exercise riders that are at Monmouth. And to just say, well, you know, we should boycott and they shouldn't have races there. Um, that's, you know, that, that's a difficult stance for me to take as well. But it just seems like uh, it was, they, were, they jumped the gun. And, and like Barry and I talked about last night, or excuse me, Monday night, uh, I don't think the New Jersey Racing Commission wrote this rule. I think it was written for them. Um, they haven't exactly been proactive at like pretty much doing anything. So to think that they would go to this extreme uh, and, and, you know, the thing is about, a, about a whip and I'm not a rider, but I was married to one for, for a while. And uh, <laughs> I know a lot of them, you know, a whip is not just used to beat the horse. There's a lot of cues that, that they get from, from having a whip in their hand, uh, leaving the gate, trying to, to hustle a horse through a hole, a horse that might be drifting, uh, trying to get a horse to switch leads. There's a lot of use that don't really require uh, someone reaching back and whacking them. And like fundamentally, like Barry said, the, you're, you're affecting the outcome of races. And these are, are still supposed to be competitive mm -hmm. events. These are races. These, this isn't a procession. It's supposed to be a race. Um, so the, the making encouragement a dirty word, it really kind of, to me, takes away from, from what we're trying to do. We're trying to run and see which horse is fastest using, uh, you know, proper methods. And, and to say that you just can't use a whip or at all. And, and then, you know, or they give us this, uh, this kind of nebulous safety word, right? But no one's really saying what safety means. <laughs> and I don't blame the jocks for, for wanting to have to find out like when they do something that it's deemed uh, not for safety reasons, because say the jockey taps the horse on the shoulder because he feels them, uh, you know, go, you know, wanting to do something or, or wanting to maybe go over the inside or, or, or whatever. I'm not, I get, I'm not a rider, but, and, and maybe that, that use of the, of the, of the whip 
prevents something from happening. Well, how are the stewards going to know that it prevented it from happening, right? They're, they're, it didn't happen. So that's the thing is, is that we need exactness for our stewards. And I'm sorry, and I, and I know I bless stewards a lot, but when you, you see the inconsistency in, in, in disqualifications um, from the same crew, you know, around the country, not, not just, you know, one particular place, we need exactness in our rules way more than we need uh, uh, this wide spread discretion of, of just quote unquote safety. I mean, how do you describe that? I re- I think a couple of weeks ago I posted on, I, I posted on Twitter, somebody, someone was complaining about a DQ that occurred at, at Indiana grand. And I basically blew up the spot where I knew where, what they were looking, what the stewards were looking at. And I go, my basic gist was, look, tell me whether or not you look at that and I, whether or not you bet the horse or not, if that horse goes over the rail because of the jockey's decision to drop down when he shouldn't have, that should have been a DQ, regardless of the fact that he won the race for fun. Does that change the outcome? It probably doesn't, but they're doing a safety issue there. That's a safety issue. It's not a, it's, it's a little bit less black and white. It's a safety issue. There are black and white situations where I'm like, look, the horse won by 10 lengths. I don't think the second place horse that he impeded at the top of the lane was ever going to catch him. That one, they should just leave alone. They, you know, stewards are human. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take their side because I think I've been fined by the stewards enough times for running my mouth when I was a jockey agent and I'm not going to get on the bad side of stewards now <laughs> in case I decide to be a jockey agent again. <laughs> no, we, we don't want to, we don't want to bring the, the wrath of the stewards down, but <laughs> I'll say it. I'm not, I don't care. They, they can find me, but um, you know, in New York, we had uh, a couple of weeks ago, two separate cases that were very, very similar. Um, and one they took down, which shocked virtually everyone. I mean, usually uh, you get in situations where, you know, you have a disqualification and, and it's probably usually like 70, 30, right? One way or the other. This was like 95, five. And everyone was really surprised. They took the horse down. And then a couple days later, they had a very, very similar, kind of an eerily similar situation and then they didn't take the horse down, which, again, every almost it was about 95 percent of the people uh, agreed that it shouldn't have come down. And, and like I said, you watch those races and you show that to a better uh, or to a, a person that's not that experienced. Even if you show it to a person that's, that's you know, uh, a guy like Barry that's, that's you know, betted, you know is, is willing to bet any anywhere, you know, um, <laughs> it's confusing <laughs> because you're saying, well, why was that a, a DQ and that not a DQ? And there's no rational reasoning even given. And that that's, you know, like I, I know the tracks have started to, to finally uh, have stewards explain their decisions a little bit. But, um, you know, that that's one of the things. And, and, and you know, going back to the whips, if, if we can't define um, what a DQ should be, then how are they going to define what safety should be? And that, it, it's just like... It just was a poorly conceived rule. And that, that's the other thing is that, I mean, there was a lot of things they didn't really include the jockeys in it. And uh, they never really seemed to want anybody's input. And uh, 
I mean, they had a meeting what was that, on the 19th of May and they were saying they, they were thinking this rule is going to increase attendance and handle. And I'm <laughs> thinking to myself, like, who, who are all these people that are sitting out races waiting to bet, but they're holding the money in their pocket because, oh, my God, they, 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 they you know, they use whips. I mean, just like Lasix. Oh, you know, we're going to get rid of Lasix and there's going to be more handle. I'm thinking to myself. Who's sitting on the sidelines waiting them for to get rid of Lasix? They just have, you know, they're ready to bet significant amounts of money, but they just don't like the L in the program. I mean, it's just kind of like, you know, insane reason. I think there's a mis—I think there's a misconception with the L. I think a lot of people think that it has to do with cheating and, um, you know, masking drugs, and I think. I, I could see that point of view. I don't agree with it. I'm on your side on that. Um, but, you know, it, the racing jurisdictions are so frustrating. And uh, I think I think if they're ever decided to actually have, like, one body to cover everyone, I think that would go so much further than than what's going on now. Because there would be no question about whether or not you know, oh, hey, you know, Stafford's suspended here for two years, but he can race over here for two years, or he can't race in New York right now, or, you know, it's like, it's like one centralized body, make the two years, make it a two-year deal, and make them sit out, because the bottom line is, is that since the, like we started at the beginning, since the pandemic, all he's done is have all these mysterious situations occur to where either the groom had cough, cough syrup drip into the food, you know, uh, it's a cancel culture, someone's out to get him. I mean, it's got to stop, basically. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That was for you. Uh, <laughs> You guys were talking about disqualifications, and, and it got in my head, and I was thinking about that uh, horrible one I got at, at Laurel on Thanksgiving Day. Oh, man, that was bad, too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then uh, I, I, That one was really, like, that was one yeah. of those ones, like, you watched the race, and you thought, well, nothing okay. really happened. <laughs> <laughs> man, that one, that one still, that that's one of the few i mean i usually really don't really get upset at, at dqs that one and and the byron one that they didn't call or whatever you want to call what happened there a on that time ago man yeah but that one still hurts my feelings i mean i had a great day that day i mean that that was probably the best day i ever had playing the races was that day but it could have been probably about thirty five thousand dollars more had byron been taken down but yeah you know, win some, you lose some, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's just, it's just troubling, you know, because if things are going the way, like, like, for example, if the trend is being like Monmouth, I'm not going to bet much longer, <laughs> you know, um, it, it's just, I, I just, I couldn't even watch the races the other day. It looked like, like what Chuck was saying, like a pony show, like it was, it was just like, you know, they weren't really racing. It was just like it was an exhibition, if there is such a thing in horse racing. You know, it was almost like, you know, when they trotted out, uh, I forget who it was, one of the runners against Zippy Chippy or something. It was just not, it just didn't seem real. 
And that that's that's a real big problem. And and then the handle was down and it, it was just an unbettable product. And and I even posed this question on our podcast is like, well, whoever's evaluating or looking at these things, especially in this first weekend, you know, I would love to know what they feel about what they saw and how everything went this past weekend at Monmouth. I suspect the track is not happy about it, but I, I can't really think of who would be happy about it. Just the way things. And we saw somebody wrote an article that, that was telling everybody how great it was. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Was that, was that the <laughs> husband of a former writer that used the whip? Used the whip no. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Would that would that be the writer? No, no, it was a different. Writer. No, this is a, a different one. Yeah. Oh wow! It, it, it was a writer who often lets his own um, views kind of he sometimes turns news into op-eds. It's you know like, I mean, listen. No matter what happened at Mammoth this weekend, it's too early to really say definitively. Um, this is not going to work or this is going to work. Like for me, like, like Barry pointed out a bunch of the races. Uh, I didn't like the way they looked. I thought that, that um, I, I saw a lot of instances where horses weren't switching leads. I saw a lot of horses that looked like Barry had mentioned to me about um, a horse that looked look like they just didn't have any focus. Like they were just kind of like waiting, uh, you know, for something and, and waiting for a cue that they, that there's never was, was going to come. And I mean, these are all like, babies are first time starters these are horses that have been racing um and been trained a certain way for a long time and to just like gold cold turkey it's um uh, it just doesn't look the same and and, and I, I have a problem when people try to tell me oh well just get used to it i said because guess what guys that's what racing has done for a long time just tell people well just get used to it that's just the way it is and and that's like that hasn't worked, <laughs> you know. We, we we aren't exactly in a position of strength. We were handling more money uh, fifteen years ago than we do now, and and yeah, it's it's not like you know everybody wants to cheerlead because handles up eight percent or ten percent this year, um, which is a good thing. I'm not going to say it's not a good thing, but again, we don't even know where that handle's coming from. And yeah. one thing about about uh, the the rules that we're talking about, um, the one group that's not going to really care about them despite barry's uh twitter uh, discussion with a guy who thinks that that, that it does uh <laughs> are the computer players doesn't matter to them they're 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 betting on data they have algorithms like they don't you know they don't have quote-unquote feelings right so they're just inputting the data and 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 they're going to you know, put the bets through. Now, I don't know how much money is bet by those guys on Mammoth. Um, Mammoth, I don't believe, is affiliated with any of the real big groups like Churchill and, and um, First Bet or whatever the hell they're called is. So I, I don't know. It's, it's a very mysterious number, too. Uh, like O'Crunk, he doesn't, he thinks it's, it's a lot less than people think. He thinks it's in the 20, 25% range. I've seen people, um, you know, say 40% of our handle. And if you really think about that, is that really a great situation to be in where 40% of our handle or it'll split hairs and say 30, 30% of our handle, a third of our handle is coming from um, people that have no real passion for the business and no real interest in the business, 
are a passing interest in the business, but are just trying to extract um, a small profit out of it. And you say to yourself, well, what if they find something that they can make better use of their money, you know, investing in all of a sudden, you know, could you imagine if we lost a third of our handle? That would be bad. Doom. Yeah. That, that's actually like a great point to stop. <laughs> Let's just leave it at a down moment for a second. But <laughs> because, you know, we could continuously talk for hours in regards to all this. Like, there are so many points and so many things that are broken with the sport that it's, it's quite frankly frustrating. You know, um, and I think it's I think it's a bummer. And you know, Barry, I know you like to bet everything. Um, I, I, I don't know how I get this prep. <laughs> no, I, I mean I do like to spread it around a little bit. I play harness. Um, I play quarter horses too. So, you know, and I'm not. If, if there's a, if 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 the if the opportunity is there to make money, I'm probably gonna take a look at it. And I'm Barry was one of those guys playing Russian ping pong during the, the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not no, judging. it was, it was those uh, judging, it was, man. The baseball games in Korea, right? Yeah, the Korean yeah. games. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm not going to judge because I mean, someone's going to win. Greyhounds and quarter horses. So, you know, well, I live. I, I live. Uh, Three miles from from uh, Daytona Beach Kennel Club when they you used mean, uh, to former Daytona Beach Kennel Club. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, and I live maybe forty five minutes from Lamarck, Texas, where they had a dog track up until this year called Greyhound, which really breaks my heart that they don't longer have. But uh, I know Caitlin likes to ask these questions, and we've already asked Barry, so we're going to ask before we go uh these questions because you know she likes being the hard-hitting reporter that she is but if you had one track that you could win a race at seeing that you used to be a former trainer owner or trainer where would it be uh if i could win a race at one track um Honolulu Downs. It hasn't been. The, <laughs> I thought you were Hong Kong. It hasn't been launched yet, but th that that's that's where I want to win one. But uh, no, honestly, I mean, I've won at Saratoga, I've won at Church, I've won at Keeneland, I've won at um, you know a lot of tracks. I'm not, um, not going to lie. I want a ton of money on you at Saratoga. There you go. Uh, you know what? You know what would be to me. And at one time, I had this horse. This is a long time ago, and and for about. 15 minutes me and my friend had this stupid thought that maybe we had a melbourne cup horse um and then it, and that's you know the melbourne cup was run for 50 claimers it wasn't going to happen but um uh, he was actually more just slow than than distance orientated but maybe the melbourne cup you know that would be kind of a race uh, that that's just uh you know like a huge event over there and the magnitude of it is, is hard for us to to realize because you know australia is, is a country it's a big country but most of the people are are in and you know on the coast and um you know that seems like what do they say the the race of stops the nation or something but yeah uh, i think that would probably be something that uh, that would be really really kind of neat I mean, you've had you've had the opportunity to have a ton of writers right for you which one 
living or dead would you want writing for you now uh, writers yeah um if you put a gun to my head i, I would probably pick angel cordero oh that's a good one and you know I, I when i first started training i, I said this all the time i was so spoiled because my two main riders when i started riding were uh pat day and, and jerry bailey right so it's all downhill from there um and both those guys did great for me i, I you know we we always um it was kind of the tail end of their career and it was the beginning of mine but uh those guys were, were really um you know great riders and, and, and excellent horsemen uh but angel was the guy we you know growing up in new york he was he, he was the guy you know and he he was he would do anything to win and he wanted to win so badly uh and and you could always feel that and uh, i mean i'm happy that uh as you know life goes on and and, and you know I, he's been able to become a, a friend of mine and and that's something that um you know, like I said, he, he, when we were kids, you grew up in Saratoga and Angel Cordero's winning the title every year. He, he's a big deal. And and that that's one of the great things about like growing up in Saratoga that you don't realize when you're doing the growing up. You, you, you know, when you're a little kid, your, your world is, is, is a very small place. And uh, I mean, I was just so lucky and fortunate to, to get up or to grow up and, and be able to uh, see so many great horses and so many great races and, um, you know, Angel would be would be my guy. Now I'm going to really put you on the spot. And Barry didn't know I was going to do this. Knicks are down three one in a series. They come back and win this thing. Uh, <laughs> I would. I, I, I mean, obviously, I'm going to root for that, but they haven't been able to. They, they really haven't looked very good. I mean, they're actually playing right now. I'm kind of afraid to look at see what the score is. 21-21. Ice Trey's going to freeze it over. It's over. I mean, the city of Atlanta is is known for lemon pepper uh, chicken wings at strip clubs and for choking in, in, in <laughs> series and games. So, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe when we hang up, I'll, I'll get some uh, Uber Eats and have them bring me some lemon pepper chicken wings and hope Atlanta chokes because uh, – the Knicks have not played, you know. It's, it's been it's been a little frustrating. They haven't they haven't played as well as um, I expected them to. I thought they would be a lot better during the playoffs. You know, I thought yeah, I thought this would be I, an easy easy route for them. And you know, Atlanta is a better team probably than they're given credit for. And they had a coaching change, uh, and they're I think they're thirty and twelve coaching change. Um, so they're, they're a good team. And uh, I mean, listen, I, I know like I complain a lot about the Knicks, but that's because, you know, I've been a fan of them for like 40 years and 37 of the years I've been painful. Uh, and Thibodeau is one of those coaches that, that gets the guys to play as hard as they can. He's a, he's a rah-rah guy, right? And he's a defensive coach. But the Knicks offense has been bad and he has not really seemed to make the adjustments at all. And and um, it's uh, it's a little frustrating because like they beat Atlanta three three no, three zero in the in the regular season, but um, you know Atlanta's a good team, and I I just like to see them you know maybe win tonight, get go back to Atlanta and see what happens, and you know get to a game seven at the Garden. Uh, that'll that'll be nuts. That's I, I hope that I hope it goes seven games, I really do because there's nothing better than a game seven. Man, listen, there's no way. 
This thing is over and then tonight. You could, and then you could <laughs> this thing is over then tonight. You could, Trust me. But I think I it's honestly Barry's being the Charles Barkley of the, of Barry, the pod tonight. I seriously, seriously want to go and watch. I want to just see Swift hit her implode. Like, he will implode if Atlanta chokes. Oh, man. He, he was, <laughs> there is nothing better than watching an imploding Swift hitter during football season than basketball. Uh, you know, uh, we, we have a bet on uh, on this this series. Why goo? Why goo steak? Yeah, we, we got a bet. Ooh, why goo steak? This, this bet, if I lose, is going to cost me about half of what Trey Young makes a year. So no one thing. He's on a diet. So yeah, remember I'm he's on a bet for the diet. Yeah, I, I'm gonna take the Alvin's the the for the Brussels sprouts. There, there's gonna be a cheat day on that diet for him. If, if, <laughs> you know, guy likes the Falcons. You know, I mean, he's still kind of shell shocked from the damn Patriots beating him that year. <laughs> and listen, I hate the Patriots too. I was all I was all in in Atlanta that day, but uh, you know. Darth Darth Brady got us again. That's my man. With with that with that said, it's been a pleasure having you guys on, Barry. Again, uh, Chuck, I hope we can make this a regular deal to where we have you come on once a month with Barry, and we can just talk shop. Anytime, man. Uh, like, <laughs> if Barry's probably right, and the Knicks run is probably could soon be over, so uh, we'll have time. Out of time to talk. Man. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks guys I appreciate all right guys it. all right thanks